Hi, welcome to the Poet Delayed Podcast. My name is Scott Edgar, and I'm the, the uh, host of the show, and I, I appreciate all of those, again, who've taken their time to uh, listen to my first three podcasts. And for those of you who have taken a moment to give me some feedback, I really appreciate that. Uh, I'm really enjoying doing this, and I look forward to doing more. Um, today is a special... Um, today is going to be a special one. I have with me my Aunt Cash, or as I... Call her my favorite Aunt Cash. Yes. Yeah. Um, and she is, I, I'm just excited to have her here today. She's been a very important part of my life and my siblings' lives. And um, she is, as you could probably deduce already, a wonderful person. And just a little bit about her. She's got six kids. And she's married to my Uncle Russ, who is my mom's little brother, oldest little brother, if that makes sense. And uh, she's got, so she's got six kids, 17 grandkids, and she graduated from the University of Utah with her bachelor's degree in English in 2002. And she and I have had some good conversations about literature. And I've, she actually, uh, when I, in the past, I've sent her a lot of my poetry for critique, and she's been good about that. And so I'm just really excited to have her here today, um, especially with regards to the poem that I want to read today. The poem that I want to read, that I'm going to read today, is called Unconditional. And then I'll talk a little bit about that poem. And then she and I will jump in and just kind of see where it goes. So the poem reads, Thrust into mortality, new and unbroken yet, and you, having just crossed the valley, with tender reach, pull me close to your body, which was broken for me. In your safety, your heartbeat communicates to me of love, of possession. I belong to you. In that moment, I alone am your world. I alone am your joy. Now, as I've mentioned um, some other episodes, a few of the other episodes, uh, I started writing poetry two and a half, three years ago, kind of as a way to really explore the um, emotions that were coming up and to deal with, with uh, these issues that had come to a head. And this was actually the first poem that I wrote in that effort. And uh, I remember the, the idea that I was trying to convey here is I, I had thought a lot about um, you know, so, so my mom, I guess I should start out. Uh, my mom passed away when I was 10 years old. And I kind of that night, actually, that I found out, kind of put it, pushed it all down. Never really dealt with it, never really talked about it, and I just kind of went on with my life, which is easy to do when you're a kid because you don't have to uh, really uh, have any responsibilities. You just kind of wake up and go and then go back to bed. But as you get older, that starts to change. And so um, I didn't realize the impact that not having a mom from 10 years old. My dad got remarried when I was 16 to uh, my stepmom, Kathy, and she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. But that, that six-year period from 10 to 16 was very, um, it's a tough year. Uh, those are tough years to not have a, a, a motherly presence in your life. I, I, I guess I'll just say it that way. And so um, Kathy's wonderful. Um, at 16 years old, though, it was a different type of relationship than a mother-son type relationship. And so I, I just, up into the point I wrote this, I, I like a couple of years before that, I just was thinking to myself, you know, at one point there was, uh, 
I was like the most important thing to somebody at some point, you know, and, and I, I know that I'm important to people. I, I understand that. And, you know, I, I feel that, I feel that from people, my aunt Cash, my uncle Russ, uh, for instance. Um, but I, I clearly, I'm, I'm different than your children, you know, and so I know that just there's a difference there. And it doesn't mean you love me less than you love me, but there's a difference between a nephew and a, and a child. And so what, what prompted this poem was not necessarily my, my thinking about you and Uncle Russ, but just that at one point there was somebody who loved me like unconditionally. I mean, that's, that's the name of the poem. Um, and it's more than that hard. It's more than that because I feel like you love me unconditionally, but I feel like it's, you know, she, I was hers. I was my mom's. And I think about at that moment when I was born, I was everything in the world to her. I was this new baby, completely helpless. And I just imagine what, what was that like for her? And I know that at that moment, or I, I assume that at that moment, like every, all of her world was centered on me. And that's where this poem came from. And a lot of that is just watching the birth of my children. And, you know, I've got five children. And it was just amazing after the birth of each, immediately, Sarah, all she wanted was her baby. That's all she wanted. And, and she wanted her baby, and she wanted her baby taken care of. Like one of, like Stella. She was actually born in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. That's right. And we backed up to the we backed up to the ambulance, or backed up to the hospital. And the nurse was there because she had been just delivered just moments before. And the nurse jumped in the back of the ambulance, and Sarah just said, "I want to see her." And so the nurse lifted her up, and then the nurse turned around to go. And I was going to stay with Sarah, and Sarah said go with the baby and all she, her only concern right there wasn't herself was anybody else it was go with the baby because that is all that mattered right then and I thought I want I know it sounds dramatic but I thought I thought I want to be I want somebody to say feel that about me and I haven't you know, growing up, I never thought that I was missing that. But as I've gotten older, I've sensed that I missed, I was missing something like that in my life. And so that's where this poem comes from, is just the idea that at one point in my life, I was that important, that that's all that mattered to this person, my mother, the baby. And so that's, that's the genesis of this poem. That's where it comes from. Um, and I just, uh, so today, I just, well, first of all, Aunt Cash, I'm just interested if you have any thoughts about the poem or is there, do you have any, you know, if not, you know, what are your thoughts at all about, I mean, you've got s six kids. I mean, what, what comes to mind? You know, the first thing I think about is the title of the poem, Unconditional. And as a mother, as a grandmother, there's such an amazing miracle I feel that takes place when you have a child because 
For most people, I know there are exceptions, but for most people, it is unconditional. You see that baby, it's like what you were saying with Sarah, you see that baby and you immediately love that child. And I feel I had enough communications with your mother. I think one thing that maybe should be brought up is the fact that your mother died suddenly, that it was, it was a very traumatic thing. I mean, she was doing everything that she normally did on a Sunday afternoon, and that evening she had an embolism and she was gone. And you were living overseas, and it was a very sudden death. So it, it was a very shocking thing. Yeah. And, and I think that added to your trauma. I feel like I had enough communications prior with your mom that I felt how much she loved each of you and how much she cared about you. And I, I love the line in the poem that says, your heartbeat communicates to me of love, of possession. And, and I, I feel like it's not even a possession of, um, you know, you are mine. Nobody can, it's, it's, a, it's a warm, heartfelt, caring possession that you were her joy. You know, her children were her joy. My children are my joy. There, there were times as you kids were growing up where I felt like I would love to take them all in, but you were your father's joy too. And, and I went, I can't even bring that up because that would be too hard on him. And I, I just feel like there's something that comes with being a mother that it's, it's the little things that I think that maybe you missed out on that, that I feel like, you know, with tender reach, you say in your poem, and it's these little teeny things that you didn't get to experience, such as, I remember my kids coming home from elementary school and I'd be in the office um, working on whatever. And they'd say, hey mom, hey mom. And I'd say, I'm in the office, okay. And they'd go about their day. And just knowing that I was there. And from 10 on, you really didn't have that type of an experience. I know when you lived with us, there were times when you would say, hey, Aunt Cash, I need a battery. Okay, well, they're in this cupboard here, okay. And, and it's that same type of thing where you want to have that very casual but knowing that you can ask, you can do whatever you want. It's unconditional. It's, 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 it's I guess, the possession thing again. What's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. And just that very simple, basic experience that I feel is what you missed out on. Uh, that, 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 I feel that way, too. I mean, the, the way you express that. Sarah's told me that, um, she, she's told me in the past that how cute it was that she thought, like, during the summer months, like, Ruby, who's our youngest, you know, Ruby, every, she did what you said. She would pop her head in the door, hey, Mom, and Sarah would respond, hey, Rubes, out of, she goes again. She just wanted to hear her voice. She's there. Yes. You know, and, like, I would come home and after school for those, you know, up until I was 16, there was nobody home, you know, and 
Um, you know, my dad had to work. I mean, I just, I'm not critical of him in that sense because, I mean, he had to be gone at that point, you know? And there were a few things. I mean, the one that stands out so often for me, really with your dad, because I said, you know, is it hard to take on all of this? Um, these seven kids, all of a sudden, you know, he's got to be both mother and father and doesn't know how he's going to do it. And um, him, him saying, I said, you know, is it hard doing all that laundry, getting all that done? He says, you know, I find really great satisfaction in sorting socks. <laughs> he said, I can just, I can just, it, it's very simple for me and it just relaxes me. And, and, you know, I felt like he really was putting forth some efforts to, to figure out his new reality too. And one thing as a father that I've, I, I do understand is that a father does not, I mean, a father can, can be there for his children, but it's not the same as a mother. And, um, I, um, because there's, there's things that I know that I can't provide for my children. And I can provide a lot, but to have, when I was growing up, I missed, there were times when I just, like I would see my friends and they'd be sitting on the couch next to their mom and they would just like lay on her lap. Yes. Like this very, this sweet affection and the mom would just start playing with their hair. I noticed that every time it happened with my friends. And I don't remember having, I don't remember it bothering, like hurting me, but I do remember just something inside of me wanting that. And I didn't have that. I, I never did anything like that with my dad. I, it just, our relationship wasn't like that, you know? And there were probably some, I, I feel like I'm really affectionate with my children. Um, I like to hold them and, and, but especially the boys, when they get older, they're, they're a little bit more, uh, you know, tough, but I still hug them. And, kiss him on the cheek whenever I see him, whenever they leave. And um, I remember coming, <laughs> this is, has been a very, um, this was a very impactful moment on my life. And I've thought about it, I don't know how many times since it happened. It was at your house and it was with you. I was at your house, this is when I was living with you guys and I was all by myself at home. And by the way, I always felt comfortable, like you said, that I could do, I could, I could go into whatever cabinet I wanted and get whatever I wanted. I never felt scared or anxious to any of that. And I, I cherished that. I, I wanted to be at your house because I felt that. And, and to, uh, you know, to some extent as well, you know my friend the Arnigs, um, Brian Arnig and his parents, I stayed with them in seventh grade. I mean, they gave a, 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 a similar feeling to me as well. I, um, it was much deeper with you and Uncle Russ because your family and, but I, so at that age, like in, I, I would crave to be at your house or to go to the Arnigs, even if my friend Brian wasn't there. I just, in fact, I've gone and visited his parents. Just last November, I went and visited with them. No one was there, just, I just sat down with his mom and dad and we just talked and it was really, because they were, they, were, they were important to me as well. But, but this the moment I'm talking about is I was at your house all by myself. I was watching Seinfeld. <laughs> and you came home. 
and you walked in and you said, how's my baby? And it caught me off guard. Like, I didn't know how to respond. And um, I, I, I almost like looked around like, is there anybody else here with me? <laughs> and I, I sensed that you might have sensed that something was odd with me. Like, like maybe, maybe, I don't know, like you, you sensed that I didn't respond, like I responded weird to it, like I didn't, res and so you said it differently, and I don't remember what it was, something like, how are you doing today? And I realized, she said that to me, how's my baby? She said that to me, and I felt like I had missed an opportunity to, like bask in that feeling of, how's my baby? <laughs> Huh. And I've thought about that a lot since then because I, I just, I felt like I missed it. And had I said, I'm doing great, maybe, maybe you would have said it more. I don't, I don't think you even thought about it. I don't even think, but that's been really impactful. It's those little things that I feel like I missed out on. Just that, how's my baby? Yes. Come here, let me hold you. Let me hold you. And, you know, and. And especially now, as I'm, I've been going through this really hard time in my life, I just want my mom, you know? And it's, and there's no substitute for it. You know, as good as you are to me, there's no substitute for it. No. I don't think there is. Uh, no, I don't think so. And, and you know, I, I say that if, if you'd been adopted, I think that it would have been, you know, I mean, I think people who adopt children, I think that they become their child. But yes. there's, it's, you don't want to infringe on somebody else's sure. um, opportunity. And, um, and your mom was just so great. I, I look at, at my mom, and I, I really, as, as I've been reading through your poems, I, I've, thought about my mom because I, my mother loved poetry and, and even the growing up, I, she, she did a, a class on Phyllis McGinley at one point for, I think about six months. And, and, and this is the kind of really home I grew up in. So she did this, she had marked in this Phyllis McGinley book that she used. There was this poem that reads, Sisters are always drying their hair, locked into rooms alone. They pose at the mirror, shoulders bare, trying this way and that their hair. Or fly importunate down the stair to answer a telephone. Sisters are always drying their hair, locked into rooms alone. And then the side phrase, she writes, Carolyn, who's my older sister, <laughs> please don't work any longer on your hair. No one will be able to tell you any more how beautiful you are when you're do putting away the dishes <laughs> and and you know and this is uh, my mother dealt so much with humor with anything and and that's that's the home I grew up in. in fact as you were talking about you know going to your friend um the Arnie's home and my mother was that to several people my mother was one of those you my older brothers would drop by at 10 o'clock with their friends on a Saturday night and mom would take 
the roast that she was going to cook for Sunday, and she would cut thick slices, and she would grill it up and give them <laughs> steak, and, or she'd make hamburgers for them, and just anything she could to make them feel welcome. I had a friend that disappeared from my life when I was going from ninth to 10th grade. I didn't know what happened to her. I felt bad because we were really quite close and ran into her about five years ago. So this is over 50 years later, saw her at Target and, I, and she said, you know, are you cash? And I went, yes, I don't recognize you. And she said, I'm Julie. And I said, oh, I have always wondered what happened to you. And she said, my mother went from one husband to another to another. And so between nine and 10th grade, we moved to Provo and we moved overnight. She married some other guy, didn't last very long, but I didn't even have a chance to say goodbye to any of my friends. But I remember going to your house, seeing how your parents were with each other and with each of you kids. And I went, that's the kind of mother I want to be. Hmm. And I've done it. Oh. And, <laughs> you know, it was just so touching to me that this is how my friends, my siblings' friends, all felt about my mother. I have pictures of my mother with my grandchildren, and I come back to you know the same line in, in your poem that your heartbeat communicates to me of love, of possession, of my mother sitting in a rocking chair, and she's just got this great-grandchild of her snuggled into her neck, and you feel that unconditional love that she has for these babies. And you know, the, your final line, I alone am your joy. And, and I feel that as I look at some of these pictures of my mom with my grandchildren, because it takes me back to how I'm sure my mother felt with me, how I'm sure your mom felt with you at that newborn stage and, and through every stage that she was able to go through. I remember your mom well, because she always treated me well. She, you know, whenever I'd go to your family parties or she was over at the house, and your, and your dad too, by the way, they always talked to me like I was, like not that I was an outsider there. You weren't. I wasn't an outsider. You were I, not. I, I, I belonged there, and that was, um, and I always wanted to, I, I, I always found myself wanting to not notice that, meaning that I didn't, I, I wanted to just be like, yeah, I belong here. This but is I, just how it is. Yes, but I always would notice it and I, and I, I just, I would um, bask in it. Like, I belong here. You know, they are treating me like this. Um, but one thing that I, that, and, like, I don't, I don't, I, I see, I remember your mom very loving I remember we were doing that name game where you put in names, you know, <laughs> and she was Eminem once. <laughs> and I was like, and, and nobody, nobody guessed her. <laughs> Eminem, this sweet little white-haired lady, Eminem. Like, how do you, this is like in the early 2000s when Eminem was just new. But one thing I, I one impression that I got, you know, from, from knowing her was that not only was she loving and tender with you all and that you you um it, it seemed like you each 
knew that you were individuals. She didn't love you as a collective. She loved you individually. You know, and, and we had a, you, you say that, we had a, a tradition, I guess, growing up where we'd get report cards and it was never sit around the kitchen table and say, oh, what grades did you mm -hmm. get? What grades did you get? Let's talk about what you need to do to improve anything like that. It was always a one-on-one. -on -one. We would go in their bedroom and they'd say, oh, look, you've done really well with this, this, and this. Never a negative. And never with the other kids because some really excelled. And some of us were just really average. But we felt like... I, I remember sitting in a class in church one time and saying, you know, if you grew up in the home I grew up in, you would think you could do anything, everything, because that's how my mother made me feel. And I think this is what you're talking about, this unconditional, that, that you know, you can do anything. And the, the woman sitting next to me said, oh, that's not the home I grew up in, which was just kind of shocking to me because I felt like that's how everybody, and I know I can't do everything, but at the time, I mean, my whole growing up, I really felt like I could really do just about anything. Um, that that's, brings up a point that I, I kind of want to talk about because I think there's a lot of people who don't grow up in a home like that. And I don't know that that necessarily reflects that reflects a lack of love. I don't know that that reflects a lack of love. Maybe, I mean, there could be a lot of reasons that contribute to homes that aren't like that. Um, it's a multi-generational thing, yes, I think, I, that you grow up with it and then you pass it on, or you say, I didn't grow up with that, and then you make a very conscious effort. Yeah. So it's, I think, one or the other is what you're going to see a lot of times. I, I, I think so, too. I think, too, like, for me... Like I think about my mom, like I, you know, I just got that book done, My Mother Sleeps, and it's dedicated to her, it's dedicated to my mom. And initially I wrote to Jenny Marie Edgar, or for Jenny Marie Edgar, my mother, for my mother Jenny Marie Edgar, and I just, originally I just wrote the first poet that I knew, because she wrote poetry, and that's, I think, that's where I got it from. I remember watching her write poetry. I remember watching her, she would get these art sets in the mail, and I remember watching her just sitting there, just working on art, just very artistic. I mean, that's the whole, uh, I mean, Grandma was that way. You know, Grandma Ina was, you know, of course, all the singing. and. <laughs> but anyway, so that's how I grew up with her. Was my A lot of my thoughts are of her in a very art, artistic way. And so she was the first poet that I knew. That's what, but I thought, that doesn't express what I want. And so I changed it. I'm, let me pull it up. Because this, I think, is an important, as, as a father, as a parent now, I think that this really expresses kind of the, um, let's see, where is it here? Here it is. So I said, I said, um, for Jenny Marie Edgar, for my mother, Jenny Marie, Jenny Marie Edgar, she was gentle but lost her temper at times, beautiful but struggled to love herself at times, protective but felt insufficient at times, positive but knew depression at times, competent but was overwhelmed at times, but at all times she loved unconditionally. I love that. And I would have to have added, and she laughed a lot. And told lots of funny stories and songs. Uh, we, I just remember laughing and laughing with your mother. 
so much. Yeah, I remember her singing us like these songs about being run over by your lawnmower and um, <laughs> I mean all these these fun things. I just uh-huh. she was a lot of she brought a lot of life to wherever she went to. But so the sentiment in what I just read, like for me as a parent, I'm not I'm not always perfectly gentle. Um, I want to be protective. I want to be positive. I want to be competent. But I fail at all of those. But I want to always love unconditionally, and I always want to apologize to my kids when I when I come up short. And I feel like I feel like I feel like my mom did. I I, I read a lot of her you know journals and letters that she wrote, and she was always I, I think maybe too critical of herself um, at times. Um, but I know that she was concerned about other people. It wasn't all her, and in fact, I think she was more concerned about other people than she was herself. I really do. And I hear stories of when she was a kid, like Uncle Russ and um, the other kids will, you know, from the family will talk about how protective she was of them, you know, stepping in front of bullies. Or I remember a story, I don't know all the details of her jumping off a balcony or something down and I don't know, just very protective. And I think if your mom is very protective, I had that sense from her Yes. I never saw it happen, but I just had just and, and I and I think about saying that right now is because I didn't think about that before. But I sensed a protective um, nature to her that she would be a mama bear if she needed to be a mama bear, and I I know that you're that way. Well, and and you know I I love the last line of your dedication, where she loved unconditionally, and it comes right back to the poem that you wrote about her and your birth that I don't think there's anything greater that you can give to somebody than to make them feel they are loved unconditionally. And she did it. She, I think she was protective. I, it could be that older sister role coming out that made her do this with her siblings. I, I feel that that's the same way with my sister. But she, she was she was a delightful person to be around. She loved you kids so much. You mentioned like loving somebody unconditionally. You know, a main you know the first few episodes of, of my podcast have come back to this um, poem by E. E. Cummings where it says, "May I be I is the only prayer." I don't remember the not may I be good or great or but may I be I. And when you love somebody unconditionally, you love them for who they are. They don't have to change for you. And I think that goes to what you're just saying, why that is so important. That's the best gift that a parent can give to somebody, uh, their child, is to love them unconditionally. Um, Maybe the child decides that their way of life is not going to follow the parent's way of life. Um, The parents can be sad about that. That's fine. But... I think the parents can also love them unconditionally. Like I tell my kids, and I'm trying to do that for my part, I tell my kids, regardless of your decisions in life, my door, my heart, and my ears are always open, always open. And it's hard because sometimes... Um, Little fiddler on the roof. <laughs> I have never seen fiddler on the roof. Oh, you need to see it. Okay. Because he, his three daughters all take a little bit different path from the tradition I know the tradition. I know that song. Yes. Um, But I just... So when you love somebody unconditionally, 
and, I, and maybe that's where this poem came from is, is the feeling the, the, the feeling that that the feeling that um, because I've addressed this also in podcasts that I, I kind of grew up taking the temperature of the room you know when you know wanting to basically trying to avoid pain trying to avoid the chaos that came with not having a mother in your life because there was a lot but I was able to offset that with just coping by like, almost by being a chameleon like okay you want this is yeah I'll, you know okay I'll be that type of a person more or less I'll kind of reflect what you want I didn't feel like I could be or, or explore things that you know desires that I had or th things that interested me if I felt like that was going to impact the care, like the attention, or the um, the uh, affection that I would get, if that if that was going to impact, if if exploring who I you know like ideas or thoughts or feelings that I had, if exploring those was going to impact the affection that I received, or the peace in the room, the calm, if it was going to introduce an element of chaos, I just step back, and I will just cut that out because. I can't handle that. And I'm still working on on not I'm still working on that issue and I feel like I've made a lot of headway in it. But I still find myself hesitant, you know, to, to do it. Hesitant to like acknowledge that, yeah, I wanna this idea interests me, so I'm gonna kinda pursue that. I still will kind of gauge, okay, what's, how's that going to impact other people, like their, what they think about me? And I, I think it's good, though, to an extent. I, I think that it's important to, I hope that's something that our mothers have taught us, that you, you do want to gauge the room. You want to, uh, if you're, if you're on a one-on-one -on -one and you're having a discussion with somebody, it's different than if you're in a group full of people mm -hmm. and you you don't want to hurt somebody or it, you know there is a temperature that comes with yeah no those I think situations so that's well taken and I think that's a really good point I, I think maybe it'd be a <clears throat> maybe a more clear way to express this is not figuratively or and not literally in the room, but figuratively what is, you know like what is my dad going to think if i if i say this or if i go do this or and so so the the effect being that you never you are not you you are what other people what you think other people want you to you be. want to say what you think the room wants to hear rather than how you right, feel right right so you can never you can never have a discussion about it Oh, it's all yeah. buried down deep inside of you, and that was, that was something that I, my growing up. That's I mean, I never expressed anything. In fact, <coughs> in fact, um, yeah, I, 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 I was, I was, I was afraid to really talk about any concerns that I had, because I didn't want to be an issue. I didn't want to create a. Uh, I didn't want to create any chaos or anything that would uh, offset the equilibrium that was going on. <coughs> so, but when you, f I, I just think like if I, if I feel, 
I mean, when, when somebody feels unconditionally loved, in my mind, it just seems that they would at least be able to have a conversation and come to somebody, come to a parent and say, hey, I've got concerns about this. Um, like, I want my kids to know that I don't care what they're thinking or feeling or what they've done. They can come and talk to me because I don't think there's anything worse in the world than struggling with, like, being scared to talk about something that scares you. Like, I, when I was a kid, this is... Um, I think I talked to you, I mentioned this to you a little while ago, I don't know if you remember, but there was a time right after my mom died, and this doesn't, this doesn't really maybe un, relate to unconditional love, maybe it is, but there was a little, there was a time when my mom died where there was, I don't know, it was, it was a period of time, a month, two months, maybe, I don't know, where I couldn't sleep at night, and I would lay there in absolute terror in the dark, and could not sleep, and I got to the point where I was, so I was 10 years old, I was going to bed like at five or six, hoping to fall asleep before everybody, but all that did was had me laying in bed there, listening to everybody go to bed. And I would lay in my bed in absolute terror. And I didn't feel like I could go up and say, hey, I'm scared. I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody about oh. it. And I remember I was at a sleepover at your house. We were downstairs and Everybody had fallen asleep, and I'm just laying there in abs again in terror. Everybody's snoring, sleeping around me. It's kind of a scary basement, though. <laughs> and we had just watched uh, um, The Exorcist on TV, so that didn't. And happen. I had no idea you yes. had watched it. Well, it was on Channel Five. It was on, a, you know. So they edited <laughs> they, it. They edited it. How do you edit that? I don't know. But, but. Um, I wasn't there. I've never <laughs> you seen You were it. not there. And that's the point is I heard you and Uncle Russ come home from a date upstairs, come inside, and I just laid down there. Please come downstairs. Please. I just wanted you to come downstairs so badly. And then well, I I'll have you know, my brother went and watched it when it came out. In the theater? In the theater. And he slept in my parents' room on the floor for a week afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame him. I don't blame him. But I, I was But just, he had a mother yeah, there. Yeah, he did. So. <laughs> and he, could, he felt like he could do that. And he was in his late teens. <laughs> what a wimp. Um, which brother was it? Rich. Rich. What a wimp. But, um, but yeah, I remember hearing you guys upstairs come in, just wanting you to come downstairs. And, and I, had I gone upstairs, so this is just right after she'd passed away. I mean, it was like within a couple months. And mm -hmm. I still was like spinning, you know, spinning, spinning. But I think had it been a couple years later, I would have gone up to your room and said, hey, guys. Yeah. I would have. I think so. But at that point, mm -mm. I, I, I just sat there. I didn't feel like I didn't. This, a lot of the stuff I say, I feel so dramatic saying it, but it's not. It's real. It was real for me. I felt like I wasn't like, like I didn't deserve your time almost. Like I didn't. Like I just had to. I'll get over it. I'll get over it. It'll pass. I'll fall asleep at some point. That's how I felt. And that's how I felt when I was at home. And, and um, that's really, when I was a kid, I didn't think about it that way. I, I never analyzed it when I was a kid. I just knew it was scary and I'm not going upstairs. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just going to sit here and dread. And I'm sure I'll fall asleep eventually. But so. And we would have been so happy to have you come upstairs. I know you would have. I know you would have. Um, I was just trying to will you guys downstairs. <laughs> but, um, but so when you feel, when you feel, when you feel like 
you are you are you can be you you're you know and, and you feel loved regardless then I think it's easier to step out and do those types of things it's, it's easier to go out and 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 find out who you are because yeah you're gonna make mistakes but you know that when you make a mistake you're still gonna be able to go home and you're gonna get love and comfort and when you don't feel that you know, I think there may be a tendency to be be afraid to make mistakes. I know I felt that way. Be afraid to make mistakes. I was afraid to really try. I didn't. Yeah, I was. I was afraid to really put myself out there. I, I tried to put on an air of I'm doing all this stuff, but I was just going through a lot of emotions. You know. So, what are your thoughts on that? Or um, anything else? You know, it's it, it makes me sad you felt that way. I didn't feel that in the time that you lived with us. I, You were fun. You came, you went, you um, had friends, you seemed confident with life, you were entertaining. We'd sit at the dinner table and you would tell jokes and I felt there was a very good, healthy exchange with you and within our home. Yeah, there was there. Uh-huh. But when I, because I was comfortable there, and, and I knew the bounds with, to which I could mm -hmm. go, but going beyond those bounds, it wasn't, it was almost unconsciously, I unconsciously or subconsciously prohibited myself from going too far because I didn't, it was it was uh, scary to me. So I stayed here in the house or, you know, figuratively speaking, in the house with, with the family because I felt comfortable. I felt unconditional love there. I felt like I can, I can operate in this area, but it was only in that area. And how do you get past that? What, you know, I, I mean, I go, do some people, you grow up and you've got a healthy home environment you've got a healthy mother a healthy father and therefore you and and I sometimes think I'm the one who grew up in the different home I don't think many people had the kind of home growing up that I had where there there was such unconditional love there was such complete acceptance of and yes I could go through every one of us and say, whoops, we goofed here, we goofed here, we goofed here. But like you say, it, it didn't matter. There was unconditional love. I think there's an argument to be made that your home is unusual, but maybe, but I, I don't know, because there may be a lot more, I mean, every family's dysfunctional to some extent, you know, but I think the difference is, yeah, we're dysfunctional, but we acknowledge it and we apologize and we are, open See, I, you're dysfunctional I feel like, you don't. I feel there was no dysfunction in my home. It, it was, that's where I say, that was what was, that's how we were unusual, mm. yeah. is that they, most homes do have that dysfunction. I, I remember talking with a counselor once and him saying, you know, everybody has issues with their mother. And I said, no, <laughs> not in my house. And he goes, yeah, what about this? And I go, no, that wasn't a problem. What about this? And he went through like 10 things. He goes, oh, 
okay, well, I guess you're the exception. I said, I think I really am. <laughs> Did you get a lollipop or something? Um, you know, I mean, probably, you know, one of the worst things that happened was when I was in fifth grade, my mom told me that I was old enough to start putting curlers in my hair by myself. And I started crying. I went, oh, no, I have to curl my hair myself. So and, you never curled your hair again? Oh, no. So I, I, I learned how to do it. <laughs> but it was, you know, very traumatic at the time. Yeah. So, but it's, you know, it's, I just have to, I, I have to share a poem. Yeah, let's, before, let's hear it. Emily Dickinson. Before we end, this is Emily Dickinson. And I think what's so, why I love this poem so much is because as my mother was dying, well, she's, she, she's, she kind of, I think, knew for a couple months she was dying and she's, in the hospital, and she's lying there <clears throat> in the hospital bed, she recites Emily Dickinson to us. And this is the poem she recited. If I can stop one heart from breaking, I shall not live in vain. If I can ease one life the aching, or cool one pain, or help one fainting robin into his nest again, I shall not live in vain. Hmm. And. I mean, she kind of said, this sums up my life. If I can just help somebody, if I can just help, and I feel like this is what my mother did her whole life, was she stopped so many hearts from breaking, and she did not live her life in vain. She cared about anybody who she came in contact with, and she had that unconditional love. And we, as her children, talk about her every time we're together and what an exceptional woman she was and how much fun we had with her and how much she cared about us. What a legacy to leave. Yes. I mean, what else, what a better legacy than that? Right. <clears throat> and I, I'm a testament to, I, I can testify to that. I mean, she made me feel that way. You know, the, I am a little bit better because of her. Yes. So I, and I, I that's amazing. Um, well, I, and Cash, has been a lot of fun, and it's it been uh, um, probing, and I appreciate that, and um, maybe we can do another one in the future. Okay. So I just, um, I appreciate all of you who listened today, and, uh, in this episode, I guess you're not listening today, because when you listen to this, it'll be a different day, but I appreciate your listening. Uh, if you get an opportunity to uh, like and uh, leave a comment on if you're listening to Apple Podcasts, I would appreciate that. And if you have any comments or thoughts about today, uh, feel free to email me. I'd love to hear any thoughts that you all have. Uh, you can email me at poetdelayed at gmail.com. And the uh, poems that Aunt Cash quoted, I'll go ahead and put those um, down below in the episode page as well so you can look at those. So anyway, thank you. And Aunt Cash, I love you. I love you. Thank you. Thank you.